Hello, everyone. I'm Lindsay LaValle, and welcome to Rush Hour, the congestion of human trafficking in America. In this podcast, we will address the problem that is human trafficking, not only to spread awareness, but to share information that will help keep you and your community safe. Rush Hour is brought to you by The Wolf Group, powered by eTactics. Today, we are joined by the Collaborative to End Human Trafficking. Thank you, ladies, so much for joining us. Um, Alicia and Kirsty. I will allow you each to introduce yourself and introduce your role within the organization. Yeah, absolutely. Lindsay, thank you so much for having us on your podcast. Very fun to be here. And, and again, thank you for having a podcast about mm-hmm. such an important issue. We love when people find creative ways to get this information out to, to the world. So my name is Kirsty Muncy. I am the president and CEO at the Collaborative to End Human Trafficking. I've been with the organization for two years. But prior to joining the the collaborative, I was the chief operating uh, chief program officer at Cleveland Rape Crisis Center, and had the the fortune of creating uh, human trafficking and anti human trafficking programs um, at that organization, and was intimately familiar with the work of the collaborative, and was a big part of the work of the collaborative and the coordinated care. So it's been a joy to lead an organization that I was uh, so familiar with and worked with so closely for so long. Awesome. Thank you, Christy. And thank you for the work you do. It's amazing. And your past work, I mean, all, all equally as, as needed and amazing. So thank you very much. We have Alicia. Yeah, I'm Alicia Lay, and I am the program, one of the program coordinators at the Collaborative, which means, um, you know, I do a lot of virtual presentations, and in-person education and awareness, as well as one of my favorite roles, which I'm a little biased, is I get to lead and manage our Survivor Advisory Council. One of the special things about the collaborative is we really seek to be survivor-led and survivor-informed. Awesome, Alicia, and thank you so much for the work you do as well. It's so important and it's it's really just remarkable. So thank you, thank you for joining us. It's very exciting and We'll just, we'll kind of dive into it. Could you give us a quick history or a brief history of the collaborative um, and how the organization began? Yeah, I'm happy to to tell you a little bit about how we got started. Uh, in 2007, a group of uh, seven women, we love telling the story because it was really women-led and, and women-driven, uh, came together because the Trafficking Victim Protection Act had passed in 2000, uh, laws trickled down to the statewide level in 2015. So 2015, when laws were changing around human trafficking or started changing around human trafficking in Ohio. So that's when really this group of, of women came together and said, no one knows about human trafficking. No one knows that this exists. Here we are getting these laws passed down. We need to do something about it. So these seven women said, we don't know what we're doing, but we need to do something. And so they started to found the Collaborative to End Human Trafficking, knowing that we needed to raise awareness of human trafficking. We needed to educate people, primarily frontline folks, hospitals, law enforcement, social workers, a new hospitality was a big uh, a reach point that we need to to train. And so that's really the path they put us on. Um, in, in 2007, um, it was just a, a group of concerned citizens. It became a nonprofit in 2015. So we've just celebrated after our 15 year anniversary. And we still educate, we still raise awareness. 
And as you know, as it says in our work, we are a collaborative. Um, so we believe that in order to do this work well, we need to break down organizational silos and we all need to come to the table and figure out how to do this work best. There are very few, almost none, uh, organization that serve survivors. And I think it's almost impossible to do that because the breadth of service is so large and, and broad. There's no organization that really just focus on the needs of human trafficking survivors. So, so many organizations need to pitch in, work together, create a continuum of care. And so we are the backbone of that uh, system of care in, in Northeast Ohio and have about 70 plus partners that work alongside us to, to assure that when trafficking survivors emerge, come forward or are recovered, there is a is a continuum of service available to them. If a, a woman or a person comes forward and says, I need help, then you would help them provide them with the different services that they would need. So what kind of services do folks come to you for? So what we do with our partners is we, we think through where could a survivor potentially um, show up? In, in the system. And then what would this survivor need? So we had a case, for example, we got involved with over the weekend where a survivor showed up in the, in the hospital system, that survivor had COVID, which makes it even more difficult to find immediate placement. So what we would like is when a survivor comes to the emergency room in a hospital that the nurses trained to one, recognize that this is a survivor of human trafficking knows what the next steps are to call an advocate, to call the task force and or police, yes, no, what are the options for the survivor? Again, be very survivor-led with what does the survivor want? What kind of steps do they wanna take? And then if those steps are available to that survivor, make sure that these steps are taken. And so what we can offer to our community is education and trainings. Uh, we've stepped this last year into the technical assistance realm as well. So what we're finding is that a lot of organizations who have had multiple education sessions, who maybe had a staff training are now saying, okay, this is really, we get it now, folks. Mm -hmm. We get it, this is a problem. Mm -hmm. Our agency has a role to play. Equip us better, mm -hmm. get us, tell us how we can screen, tell us how we can better reach the population we want to serve when it comes to human trafficking. Help us, advise us, guide us in this process. So this technical assistance has been um, sort of new. And then again, the other side is the coalition work. So anyone who's interested in doing this work, we, we really highly recommend if any organization or person says, I want to do anti-human trafficking work, come to us first. There are tons of providers who are doing a lot of things. Sometimes being a new provider sort of upsets that system that's already in place. So we, we like to, to say, come to the table. If you think you have something to offer, join us, right? Join the, the, the coalition, be a part of it, understand the system, the network that's in place and work with us. So those are the sort of the two big pillars of services that we offer. That's awesome. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's really awesome. I think we've spoken before in the past about this, but my husband is a police officer in a hospital setting, right? And I think that's a lot of it is that they don't know, right? I, I think that I see this, but then it's like, what do we do? So I think it's amazing the work that you do. And that's what I keep telling my husband, like, 
You have to give them the phone number for rehab or for the collaborative or for, you know, these these victim advocate groups, right? Mm -hmm. Organizations that can come right alongside them to help them. So and it has to be preemptive too, right? So that's one of the things that we seek to do within Northeast Ohio through our coalition, which many areas don't have. Because when you have someone in front of you, if you don't know those steps, if you don't already have a relationship with these providers, it's almost too late. We already know that highly traumatized people moving through these very inconvenient systems <laughs> to get help, it's hard. You know, we we seek to have those steps already in place, like so that when we hand off to a housing or a substance use um, provider or or a trauma counselor, it's not the first time that we're conversing, mm -hmm. right? It's kind of like we we've been there, we have relationships, we know about your services, and then when a survivor comes up in a hospital, you know, it makes it easier to say, "Hey, tag your it." We're going to make sure that this person gets your care and this care, and we can coordinate together. And I think that's a great point, uh, and we've discussed it in the past, but that I, you've heard me call it the blob, right? I think human trafficking is this blob, like if you think like 1980s, like sci-fi blob that everybody's just kind of bouncing off of trying to figure out how to puncture it, right? And so I think when you come together and hold hands, then you can really dive into that blob. But I think that it takes it takes all of us, right? So obviously we're in the for-profit, you're in the nonprofit sector, the government sector as well. I think it's if if just nonprofits are fighting this battle, if just for-profits are doing their little part in whatever way they may or may not know how to deal with it, or if just the government is trying to put pieces in place, it's it's not joining hands, right? So it's like everybody really does have to figure out, like you said, that ecosystem and where they can fit in with it to actually make it so that it's it's a joint effort. And so I think an organization like you is a vital, vital piece to this ecosystem, maybe even almost like the hub to the wheel, right? That that you guys can really make everybody kind of come together and hold it all together. Because again, I, I think everybody doesn't really understand it from those people that are the survivors saying, no, this is what it looks like. This is what happened. So and I think you're bringing up exactly what what we have talked about or the direction the organization is going over the this past year and, and bringing Alicia on has elevated that direction is to say, you know, there are all these voices who think they know what to do, but we're not bringing in survivors. Mm -hmm. We're not talking or involving or le even letting the people lead who really know how right. to to get us to the other side. Right. So this this uh, survivor leadership and our survivor advisory council has been uh, just a tremendous asset for us as an organization, as a coalition. Coalition, it makes so much sense, right? That's the North mm -hmm. Star. That's yeah. that's who needs to lead this this movement. No, for sure. And and again, I think I think everybody has their own opinion and and then their own right because we can only see through our own glasses, right? So if if we if we've looked at it as I'm in the FBI I or I'm in law enforcement and I know it from this standpoint, then then we do know it. You know, we mm -hmm. do know it, but we just know it from our standpoint. We yeah. don't we don't know what other people have been through. And and one of the models that we really seek to infuse in our coalition work is the collective impact 
uh, model, which really takes these various stakeholders and allies and lived experience experts to say, we really do all have our realities mm -hmm. of the places and spaces that we engage a small piece of what human trafficking looks like, right? That's one of the complexities of our sector is that it it looks very different. Um, and there are so many different avenues and ways that someone could be exploited. And so the collective impact model takes those those allies, those stakeholders and survivors and say, what can we agree on to move this issue forward to not only make sure that survivors are getting the best care once we identify, but also what can we do to prevent from happening in the first place? For sure. And I, I like I said, I think the work you're doing is is just so vital. And I and the more I talk to more people, the more I realize just how important that it, it really is. So I asked you ladies to join us this month to help raise awareness on National Human Trafficking Prevention Month. What does that month mean to you personally? And what does it mean as to the collaborative as a whole? For us as, the, as a collaborative really brings everyone together around, you know, this is one of those joined purposes that we can have is to say, it's January, we're all in this together. What can we do to amplify our collective voice and help more people across Northeast Ohio understand that this really is an issue in, in our community, in their in their little suburbs or wherever they live, right? It's It happens everywhere. That raising awareness, educating, bringing people to the issue, helping them understand that they can play a role is, is certainly an organizational goal and the goal of the coalition as a whole. Uh, personally, yeah, it's a it's a month where we join arms, where we join forces. It's it's an important way for us to kick off the year. Obviously, for us, it's also to say, you know, it's not just January; it's every mm -hmm. every month of the year. But there is definitely a, a, a an ear that we get, more attention that we get. The media is more in tune. So there are lots more opportunities in January to be heard. Yeah, I'll say too that for whatever reason, we can look at the history of the, the movement of anti-human trafficking. Within the last really five years, human trafficking has become kind of like the buzzword. A buzzword. And, you know, part of that in January, you know, is to ride that wave, to get our message out there as much as we can. And I think part of the history of the collaborative that we get to say is that we we have been here before the before that 15 minutes of fame started. We have that history and we have that experience. Um, now we just get to like blare it out as much as possible. And what I'll say too about these months that we've, you know, really started to highlight within our culture in the US, you know, there can be some cynicism around it, right? People say like, well, if I wear blue on human trafficking awareness, is that really going to make a difference in the lives of survivors? Mm -hmm. And when we look at what we're really trying to seek and celebrate with not only this month, but other months like Black History Month, and we did a lot with LGBTQ+, you know, those, those kind of months of celebration is we are looking to bring visualization to groups who have historically experienced marginalization or oppression 
um, and we're saying, hey, let's learn about this as a culture, um, you know, as a part of our country. And human trafficking falls very much into those same realms. A lot of the survivors that are at risk and vulnerable to human trafficking, um, you know, experience other political, economic oppression and marginalization in our country. For sure. I mean, I think I think you're right. I, I was on a, a webinar the other day just talking about foster children, right? And and how they fall into so many of those marginalized categories. And that just makes them so much more vulnerable to be becoming trafficking victims. So yeah, I think you're right. And I think just anything we can do, and even if it is just wearing blue, right, then then it just shows a solidarity and it shows, you know, I see you, right? And I think that's a lot of it too, is just allowing people to feel seen. So just kind of, you talked a lot about training, and I know that's a large part of of what you ladies do in your organization. In your opinion, what professionals need training on human trafficking awareness? I mean, I would first of all say anyone who encounters people sort of on the front line, right? So definitely nurses, doctors, law enforcement, social workers, everyone sort of I talk to who's who's part of our work has sort of that story of the mm-hmm. survivor they didn't recognize. And mine is a young woman that I worked with before 2010. So it must have been 2006 or seven. I was still a a therapist at the Rape Crisis Center. And this young woman came in every month, every other week, and she was sexually assaulted over and over and over. And she didn't have language for, of course, she was trafficked. Mm -hmm. She didn't have language for what's happening to her. I didn't have language or even a construct on why this young woman would be sexually assaulted over and over again. But that's the only way she knew how to express herself. She knew she would could come to me. I would support her. I would, you know, help her. But obviously the, the help I gave her wasn't enough. But now if I would see the same kind of person, I would know that that's, that's what's going on. I would know what to do. So it's, the people who come in contact with folks who are, you know, regularly in emergency rooms, who are regularly in hotels, who are regularly, we're just learning all about how financial institutions play a role. So there's mm-hmm. so many, you know, places that survivors frequent. And, and, and I think it's like another myth we bust, right? That survivors are not amongst us. They're, they go to schools, they go to banks, they go to hair salons, they, they're out there. It's a wide and deep pool of folks who need to know about this. For sure. I think back and, you know, we, you said we all have that story and I have that same story. I ran as a volunteer. I lived in the second largest emergency homeless shelter in the city of Chicago. But I think if I had the education that I have now, um, that just like you, I would have handled it completely different. Right. Um, so I think like, yes, nurses, yes, social workers, yes, foster parents, obviously law enforcement who do not get the training that they need to in this in this area hoteliers all of those folks people working in banks and you know all of those folks need training people that are working in in shelters i mean they're probably seeing a large amount of trafficking victims yeah and i'll add too besides all of those helping professions i mean it's a lengthy list is anyone who's working with children mm-hmm. uh you know schools are one of my big i love 
educating schools and really helping school districts have policies to really make sure that we're safe places, you know, not only that survivors or we identify people who might be experiencing abuse or exploitation, but are we creating an environment where we're not perpetuating systems of exploitation as well? Mm-hmm. And children themselves, right? So yes. this education about human trafficking with minors and young adults and even children can start really young about, you know, what does a healthy relationship look like? Um, what does a healthy family system look like? how our power and control dynamics utilized in relationships and making sure that we're equipping young people with that knowledge, how to be on the internet in safe ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a ton of education that just even our youth need to have about this topic as well. For sure. I mean, even from the standpoint that traffickers are, you know, targeting children who then go and recruit for them in the school systems. I mean, that blew my mind the first time I heard that. I was like, what? You know, so yeah. So just being able to recognize that I think educators and I can't believe I didn't list that in my laundry list, but yeah, for sure. They're likely in the top of that list, right? Of, of people that need to be educated. Do you think that professionals that you encounter in your trainings, do you think that they're currently adequately trained? I would say, um, no, I hate to say that. No, I think we need to be honest about that, though. <laughs> yeah, I think that for as many times or even places, you know, that healthcare establishments or law enforcement, um, you know, are giving tr- given training or the hotel industry, something like that. For as much as you hear, or we go out and other organizations do a lot of education and awareness there are still so many stories and so many times that I hear survivors going into those systems and not getting adequate trauma applied care. And I think that's why I say no, because if we know the knowledge, but we don't know how to treat the human being in front of us with Mm -hmm. dignity and care, then we're missing the point. Right. And so I hear over and over again, and it makes me sad every time that we're just not there yet. I don't think. No, I agree. And I, I, I think there's a societal issue, but I think there's this lack of empathy. And so we can teach them what the fundamentals are. Follow these rules. Right. Follow these directions. But to teach that just that empathy side of things and that love and kindness and patience. I mean, what we know about people who have experienced pervasive and long-term trauma, which I would say the majority of trafficking survivors, that's what you're you're dealing with. You're dealing with a very complex case of PTSD. And so, you know, their trauma responses of fight and flight and freeze, no matter where you are, you know, I just did a training in school and said, these are what these trauma symptoms look like in a classroom setting. And I said, how many people want that student in their class? Who's that student to you? They're the people, they're the ones that are either fighting all the time, they're disengaged, maybe they're sleeping, right? They're uh, zoning out or they're Mm -hmm. dissociated, right? They're not the A plus student. They're not Mm -hmm. the person walking into the ER um that's like your best case patient Mm -hmm. and so when you team that up and i think you're right especially when we talk about healthcare teachers and law enforcement especially with the last two years that they have walked through when you team up someone and you're coming in with your trauma responses with someone who 
also is in their trauma response or you know ptsd amongst our law enforcement in itself we don't talk about that and now you have an explosion just waiting to happen yeah you know when we go back to what you asked earlier is education enough uh, it, it's it's not because we're, we're just having these individual interventions with mm-hmm. folks who mostly even are voluntarily in these trainings, right? Yes. That's we've talked about this before, yes. Lindsay. That it's the people who are interested, who have a level of awareness, who yes. want to be there. It's not even necessarily you know system wide or mandatory. Mm-hmm. So we 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 catch a small percentage of people, and then they don't have the system support to really make changes. So that's really what we're advocating for is how do we get the ear? So if there are any system leaders listening to this, mm-hmm. how we get their ear to say, okay, let's sit down and think about what can our systems, our healthcare systems, our social service systems, our child welfare systems do to, to address this differently? How can we change our behaviors with all these things that we just touched upon? Yeah. And starting, start creating some infrastructure, right? Within organizations and within police departments or my husband, his higher ups have had training. You know, we've talked about this before, his higher ups have had training, but he hasn't had training, but they're sitting in offices all day. He's the one out there interacting. He's the one that's going to encounter these people. Mm -hmm. So great that they have training, but even if he does find someone Where's the infrastructure to support, like you said, to support um, that interdiction or to support, you know, actually removing those people from that scenario? I think. And I think, too, like we there are policy changes that have been happening about mandated training. Right. So teachers in the state of Ohio, they have to have training. There there are various professions now. If you work in a hotel, if you work in a salon. Yep. But what we've seen are organizations that aren't human trafficking specific. They come along, they they make some training because they're selling it to these large organizations. But the information is outdated or not correct. And, you know, we've talked about this before, too. It's like a click, click, click. Yeah, There's no the system of accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there. I was a part of actually a research project specifically on hotel training. Um, and looking at the trainings that were offered to staff in hotels. And you're like, well, no wonder people don't mm-hmm. feel equipped, really equipped to recognize yeah. this because this is the level of education and awareness many um, mandated places that have to do training are getting. Well, and it's no different. So we at eTactics, we provide training for HIPAA, cybersecurity. We have a whole training platform just how we got into the human trafficking training. Um, And we didn't want to be that checking of the box because that's not how any of our training is created. We use our training internally. So we created it because we didn't want to just check a box because we paid another organization to provide our organization training. And it was, it was crap. I mean, let's be honest. It was, it was boring. People were pushing play, sitting (laughs) it to the side, call it what it is, setting it to the side, letting it play and saying they had training, you know, I think that's a lot of it, right? Is that is just creating a training that's engaging, creating a training that actually stays current, that is survivor centered and actually gets to the root of it versus, you know, just saying, yep, we train on it. And I'll tell you, I have spoken with hotels that have been sued. I've spoken with law firms who are suing hotels. And that is the biggest reason 
that you know they're able to sue people and win is because they're like yeah great but look at your training it's not accurate it's people aren't really paying attention you're not able to prove that everyone in your organization has trained so i think within training you hit the nail on the head alicia that it's you know it's not all training is created equal right so right i kind of wanted to ask you about this because i think that that this is important but if if any of this resonates with somebody who might be listening what would you suggest for that person or if you're if a parent is listening maybe and they're like oh my gosh this might be my child um or their friend or whatever what would you what are some pieces of advice that you would suggest i think if if someone truly thinks that there is an individual in their life that is experiencing trafficking I want to first remove this idea that they can be rescued, saved, that there can be quick change. Unfortunately, we have to do away with that. That's a very, it's a very slow process. And I think that the most helpful for a survivor is if someone comes up to them or for a potential survivor, any trauma survivor, really, if someone comes up to them and says, I'm worried about you, I'm noticing some things about you that make me wonder and and worry, if you ever want to talk, if you ever need help, I'm here, come to me, I can talk to you, or I can point you to another supportive adult. So opening that door to building trust, building a relationship, and letting someone know that there's hope, and there's a potential to change something, I think is the most important piece. Obviously, that's not always possible. So there are situations, we have plenty of, we talk about teachers, they're mandated reporters. So they don't, they might not always have that option. So getting consultation, getting, you know, before you make any call to law enforcement or any other mm-hmm. uh, entities like that, get consult with someone else, check yourself, check that situation, mm-hmm. get support, maybe call a hotline or call us or call with the, the human trafficking task force just to say, is this something I, I need to report? And only if you have all your teeth crossed and, you know, your eyes dotted, then make make that call. But uh, those would be my my recommendation of steps to take. Yeah, I think on the flip side, if you are someone who may be potentially engaging with this education space and saying, am I someone who maybe is experiencing myself exploitation in some way, either labor or sex? And that's actually part of our story of one of our survivor uh, advisory council members. <laughs> Um, during Human Trafficking Awareness Month, she saw an ad and was uh, kind of jolted her to be like, wait a second, is that my life? Is, is that what I'm experiencing? And so I think if that is you, you know, find one safe, healthy, the, the safest, healthiest person you have contact with and, you know, just be honest about what what really is happening around you. Um, and, and kind of lean into a conversation with someone that may, you know, be, be able to help you. Right. And I, I've heard it say kind of what you said, Kirstie, I've heard it say, said before, just asking somebody if they're okay, can I help Mm -hmm. you? Are you okay? You know, just, just again, humanizing it, just getting on that level playing field with them and just showing them like some empathy. 
Yeah. And that's and, what advice that I always give during training that we always talk about, like, right, reframing the question when we interact with people and we want to say, like, what's wrong with you? Oh. To reframe that in our mind to say, did something wrong happen to yes. you? And that right building that empathetic connection with that person um, can really make a difference. Oftentimes it it might not or probably won't even be a trafficking situation. Right. Right. But I've worked in this field for over seven years now and have done a lot of work, you know, on myself in this sector. And just a couple of weeks ago, there was a young girl on the side of the smoothie shop I frequent. Right. Mm -hmm. She's sitting on the ground. She was crying. It was cold. I'm like, where's yeah. this girl to go? And you're and a mom. Crying. You're like, I need to mom this kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even to me, right? right? Let's not right. pretend that our senses don't get heightened. We experience anxiety. Yes. We're like, should I say something? Should I not? Blah, blah, blah. I saw her have a phone conversation. She was kind of mad and yelling. And, and finally, I'm like, okay, you got to walk over and mm-hmm. say, Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just like got down on our level. I was like, hey, I'm not trying to be in your business. I just want to make sure. Are you OK? Do you need something? Can I help mm-hmm. you in any way? And she was having a fight with a boyfriend. Right. Oh, it's like right. that's normal. Like, yeah, yeah, I've been there. Like, yeah, you should right. also put a jacket on and fight inside. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but just asking the question when you're seeing yeah. things, not only trafficking signs, but just, you know, life is hard for it people. And just reaching it out is. and having a human connection um, yeah. is important. It is. And I think that's just a great, a great point is, is just to rec- like to look up, <laughs> right? Look, yeah. look out, see what's happening on around you. And if you see a situation like that, just, just ask them if, you know, if you are you okay? Everything going all right? You, yeah. you look like you're sad. You need to talk. Can I can I buy you a smoothie? <laughs> you know, whatever that might be, right? So I I think that's that's awesome. Do you have a website or social media that you would like to share with our listeners? You know, if they have questions, or again, if they maybe feel like they're in this situation where they need some help, or they know somebody that does, or they're a law enforcement officer and they want to reach out because they want to have those advocate groups in their back pocket. Thank you, uh, Lindsay. We do have a website. It's www.collabtoendht.org. We're also on all the social medias. Uh, We are on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. So yes, please follow us, especially if you're someone who may be new to the topic, right? Maybe you're not ready to sit through one of our one hour fundamentals, but maybe you want to sign up on our LinkedIn or Instagram and see what's happening, what the news are, what we're talking about. Give it 20 seconds every day to learn something about uh, human trafficking. Also, Lindsay, thank you for for plugging it. It is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, so we'd love for people to spend a little bit of time um, learning more about the topic. Uh, I also want to throw out here that we are hosting a youth summit in February. It's February 17th to 18th. It's really geared towards uh, professionals in the field because of what we talked about, the system, this connection that we experience, right, where we often find that being in the healthcare system or in the social service system, child welfare system, doesn't translate to uh, a coordinated care 
system that helps uh, trafficked or at risk use. So we want decision makers come together, providers to come together and have conversation about what we can do differently and building on the assets that already exist in our community. So that's again, all on our website, all these events, all these trainings that summit and all the social media connections are also on our website. So yeah, anything, there's also a resource map on our website that's recently been launched. So if there is someone here listening who might need help with housing, mental health services, drop-in centers, all of those resources on our website and can be can be found. That's awesome, thank you. And I will do a plug for you that nonprofits need funding. So if, <laughs> if you are willing to donate, I am sure they will be willing to put that money to very good use. So one of the goals, I think I mentioned this to you, but one of the goals for me personally for this podcast is not only to reach you know, our professionals out there on the front lines, but but really to reach into the hearts of Main Street. So the moms and dads. And so I always like to ask if you had a piece of advice for Main Street just to prevent some of this, right? Because I think parent parenting is not easy. I have a small child myself and I am realizing that they don't pop out with instruction manuals, you know, and I think it only gets more PhD level as they grow. So, um, so what are some of those pieces of advice that you might have? Yeah. So there's, there's so much, I mean, some of my big things are that we all have a sphere of influence. Um, we can know the people really know the people around us, um, know the warning signs, lean into difficult conversations with our kids, um, about what's happening online, what's happening in our, their social settings. Um, but I think, you know, being empowered, I think that's an empowering message that really knowing your kid, being attached to your kid in a healthy way and being the one healthy adult, maybe for kids who don't have that, um, really is part of this prevention work. And something that came to mind that I typically don't plug, but you said dads and really men, when we talk about specifically exploitation and sexual uh, exploitation, really men have, um, you know, a lot of work to do of re-education mm -hmm. about what uh, it means to be a man and not objectify bodies. Um, and we know that a large part of the demand for sexual exploitation are men. And so yes. I think they have a, they have a lot to do in this sector and fight too. Like we think it's a woman dominated space um because oftentimes women are the the nurturers and the helpers mm -hmm. but really men have a big big role to play in this as well yeah i think i i love where you're taking this conversation that you know it's all interconnected it's not just human trafficking it's only the iceberg of what is happening with us as a society so all these social constructs that you're describing so these conversations are so helpful i you know I, I like to talk to my kids. I have two teenage boys and, you know, we, we talk about the Deshaun Watson and we, we unpack it. Right. Yes. And we talk about what's happening. How do you feel about it? What, what do other kids in school talk about it? Mm -hmm. What help me understand how you think. So it's, it's that unpacking and slowing down and, and looking behind the curtain and not be afraid, right. To, to have these conversations and not see it as that isolated, horrible thing, but that it's really, interwoven in how we build our society and and we we all contribute in in some way to it continuing to exist so what steps can we take to to not be be that that wheel or the cock that keeps the wheel running 
So. Well, I want to thank you ladies so much for joining me. I always adore talking to you and um, thank you for the work you're doing. And I just think you're wonderful and your organization is wonderful. And um, I'm really proud of you. So if nobody tells you that, I think it's very important for people to hear that as corny as it may sound, but I think it is important to hear how, you know, people are proud of you and the work you're doing. It's, it's probably very thankless a lot of the times and it probably feels grueling at times because it can be so long drawn out, but, um, but thank you very much. So any other thoughts or any? Well, I, I just want to thank you as well for creating the space, uh, for creating this conversation, for allowing people to get introduced to this topic. Uh, you know, you're a great example of um, anyone can play a role. Anyone can bring this topic into their sphere of influence. Right. You're, you're a great role model on doing that. So we so appreciate you as well, Lindsay. Thank, thank you. Thank you very Great. much. And, yeah, thanks, Alicia. And I hope you guys, um, that this is a successful month for you and that awareness is vastly spread to the masses and, and that it, it just continues to grow. So thank you. Again, thank you to the Collaborative for their time and everyone stay safe. Bye-bye.